Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54, please. And let's begin to read with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 3. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Father, we come to your word humbly reverently, recognizing that it is your word indeed. You've chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word, just as you have also chosen to reveal your character, your nature, and yourself through the living word, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. So Lord, we have much to learn, and we have much to look forward to as we draw near to you and as we seek your face. So we ask you this morning, Lord, to speak to us through the word. What we need to know, please teach us those things. The direction and the guidance that we need, show that to us as well. Help us, Lord, to, to hear from heaven. And we give you thanks and praise in advance for this word today. In the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Today I want to talk to you for a little while about changing barren places into fruitful places. I want to talk to you about becoming productive in your life, spiritually, physically, financially, materially, relationally, every way, and to be profitable. That your having lived on the earth has been worthwhile, not only to you personally, but been worthwhile to other people who've been blessed by who you are and your contribution in the world we're living in. This passage may seem a little odd in a way uh, as a beginning point. The obvious uh, text here is Isaiah prophesying to the nation of Israel. And he's prophesying here about their restoration that would happen under King Darius. And so that is the primary meaning. That's the primary uh, message and to the primary people of the day. But as with a number of Old Testament passages, many times there are signs or there are types that are given to teach us a principle, a timeless principle, a principle that isn't just relegated to the Old Testament or just relegated to the New, but a timeless principle of faith and power. And so that's what this passage is. These three verses really give us a powerful type. And we're given in this short passage the answer to changing barren, unproductive, unfruitful, unprofitable areas of our lives into profitable, productive, and fruitful places. Now, right in the beginning this morning, not for you to tell us all, but just for yourself, 
for just a moment, not to dwell on a negative, but just for a moment to be honest about things and with yourself, do you have any unproductive areas? Are there any places in your life that you would have to say, that's a barren place? It's not productive. Maybe at one time it was, but now it's not. Or maybe it's something that has never happened. A place that seems to be stubborn. A place that almost is like drought. It's, it's maybe so far different than maybe even some other places in your life that, where things just seem to be going well. And it's kind of a paradox, isn't it, how you can do so well in one area of life, but then over in another area, it seems like it is a drought. Not, not so, so good after all. Well, I don't want to focus on the problem. I want to focus on the answer, but I do want you to understand that there is an answer for that barren place or barren places. Now, it's probably not possible for us today to fully appreciate the stigma that a barren woman would suffer in the time of this writing. Now, barrenness, of course, in general, means incapable of producing increase. It means failing to fruit or to bear fruit. It is non-productive. Something barren is non-productive of results, or it might be non-productive of gains. A synonym would be devoid, which is not a good word. We don't like that word. Or lacking. We don't necessarily like that one either. And it's probably not possible for us in our modern day to understand how that a woman in these days that could not have a child, how she was ostracized, to a degree she was shamed. In many cases she would have been ignored and set to the side. A barren woman would have been looked at as being less than others. The kind of the scants of an eye, you know, something must be wrong. And of course, that attitude that would have been given, even sometimes by these women, uh, these women's husbands would have had that attitude. And because polygamy was allowed in those days, um, they would be prone to take another wife so that they could have children. Now, you've got to understand, in ancient times, your family was just about everything. Uh, they didn't have 401Ks. There were no social security benefits. Your family was your retirement. You were raising a family that was going to help you in your old days take care of you. Your family was your livelihood. If you were a farmer or you were a cattle person or you raised sheep, and most people were agrarian of some sort, and so they would, um, they would have a family that would partake in the family business. And, of course, a large family would mean a larger business, would mean more income, more prosperity. Large families also sought to marry their children to other uh, children of key families in their eyes that would build alliances for protection, and tribes were built, and also eventually nations were built. It was a big deal. I mean, today we think about a family, you know, Husband and wife, two or three, four kids maybe. And, you know, you got your own home and you do your own thing. And, uh, you know, you got jobs and investments and all those kind of things. And we just live a whole lot of a different lifestyle today than would have been lived here. And so I want you to think in the terms of the day and the time that we're looking at. And uh, how that for a woman then, not to have 
children, and particularly sons, that would grow up as men and would be doing the same thing their father did, how that that was such a, to them, was such a horrible thing. Now, another thing happened in that day was that they knew because of what God had spoken to them that having children and even having many children was a part of the blessing, the blessing of God. And so, like many people do with scriptures, they just took the simplistic uh, approach and just automatically decided that if a woman was barren, then she wasn't blessed. And if you're not blessed, you must be cursed. And so a barren woman would have been, to a degree, ignored and ostracized by society and even sometimes even in her own family. So this really is, is a tough situation. And so one of the things that I do want to point out, just a little side journey for a moment, is that we need to be careful as believers that we, we are not quick to judge other people. Their motives, even things that they find themselves in, we know there are things that are obviously right and things that are obviously wrong. But we need to be very careful about judging other people because we don't always know the story. For instance, Hannah, who was the mother of the great prophet Samuel, was a barren woman up until the time that she bore Samuel. Well, you know that in the end result, she was truly a blessed woman. But if you would have judged her prior to that, you would have had a different approach perhaps if you'd have been a part of the culture of that day. And so what we need to look at other people as uh, being is a work in progress. Probably none of us would be able to pass someone else's complete test of total holiness, total goodness, and getting all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. But aren't you glad God's not through with us? Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad God's not through with you. Particularly to you. <laughs> So only God sees the heart of an individual. And we need to be very, very careful that we do our best to see through God's eyes where other people are concerned. But getting back to the principle here, getting back to the story, the answer that was given to the barren woman would have been one in that day totally unexpected. This, this was radical because barren women did go around singing. They didn't go around with joy. They went around with a spirit of heaviness. They went around with depression dogging them. They went around suffering under insults and, and uh, uh, neglect and so on and so forth. And so the answer given here to the barren woman would have been totally unexpected. When Isaiah prophesied this, this would have sounded strange. Because singing and rejoicing... And shouting cheerfully would have not been the normal reaction of a barren woman. You see, because the word sing in verse 1 means to shout aloud for joy, to cry out, to be joyful, to rejoice, to cause to shout for joy. And actually, for those who cannot sing, it actually also means making a shrill creaking sound. And I think that's very interesting, this word was used, because that means nobody 
gets a pass. Everybody needs to sing. Not everybody needs a microphone, but everybody needs to sing. Amen. And then when he says down here to break forth, break forth into singing, the word break forth there means to make a loud noise. So we're finding some common patterns here. Number one is volume. And number two is shouting. Number three, noise. Whether it's in tune, out of tune, on key, off key, flat or sharp. Noise, loud noise, shouting. Now also the word cry aloud there means to be cheerful. Cheerful. So when we come to church... We need to stand with the joy of the Lord and be cheerful. We're not in front of a firing squad. <laughs> Amen. This isn't the final exam and everything rests on this grade and we're not sure we know the stuff. No, that's not what it's about at all. It's about knowing who you are in Christ. It's about knowing what belongs to you, knowing about your covenant, and having something to shout about. Yeah. It means to be cheerful. Here's another word in the definition. It means to bellow. Bellow, cry loud, cry out, lift up, rejoice, make to shine, shout. Let's practice that a little bit. Just shout out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So he says in this passage, when you are barren in an area, you need to shout over it. You need to rejoice over it. You need to sing over it. And you need to do it with some volume. Because you see, that really is an Old Testament definition of a New Testament principle in Romans 4.17, calling those things which be not as though they were. It's beginning to shout like Israel did in Joshua chapter 6 as they uh, uh, were going around Jericho. They shouted while the walls were still up. You see, anybody can shout when the walls are down and the victory's won. Anybody can shout when everything's easy, when everybody else is rejoicing with you. But sometimes in life, there are tough places, there are some barren places, there are some hard places, situations that just doesn't look like they're going to change. You have no physical evidence that it'll ever be any different. You're getting older, the doctor said this, my mama did that, daddy had that, whatever the case may be. And, and the devil will camp out in your life if you'll let him and tell you all why it's not going to be any different for you that you might as well learn to, quote, live with this. I'm here today to tell you, you don't have to live with it. I'm here to tell you to tell you the devil is a liar. I'm here today to tell you that it doesn't matter how long it's been, how long you've been that way, how long the circumstances has been like it has been. I'm here today to tell you that it can change today. It can change. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody said, well, you know, it just, no, I don't know of anybody else that's been healed from this. Well, you might as well be the first one you know then. The word is true. That's the good thing about the Bible. Every time I look in this book, it says the same thing. No matter what I see in the mirror, no matter what I feel, no matter anything else in the natural, every time I look in this book, it says the same thing. 
And so every time I look at Isaiah 54, it says to sing. So I'm, I'm called upon to make a joyful noise. Now let's turn over a few pages uh, to Isaiah 61. This maybe is a little more familiar to us. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And of course, you'll recognize some of these words from the words of Jesus when he, after being anointed by the Holy Spirit, declared it to the people. But it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I would say that describes barrenness, barren places. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And of course, that's code, if you will, for the year of Jubilee that's described. If you've read your Old Testament, you know that every 50th year, in Israel was to be a year of jubilee, and that's the year when everybody that had to go in debt for things got all their debts canceled. And everybody who had given their properties over to other people to, you know, for, their, for whatever their need might have been, and the, all that property revert, reverted back to the original owners. It was begun with the sounding of a trumpet, which is a type, another type, of the pro proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel, the good news of Christ, the good news of the work of redemption of Jesus, tells us what's available to us. And so therefore, all the blessings of redemption are encapsulated in the concept of the jubilee. And so this says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, or to proclaim the jubilee. You see, you've got to proclaim it. You need to sing it. You need to shout it. You need to declare it. It's not good enough to come to church and sit silently while somebody drones on uh, with some boring thing that you're hoping is done quickly because you're hungry. It's about being involved with the worship of God in spirit and truth. It's about submitting and subjecting ourselves to a move of the Spirit of God so that whatever is wrong in our life can be made right. There's healing in the presence of the Lord. You know, I'm so grateful for Miss Susan's testimony that she gave at the end of the service last week. I don't know how many of you were here to hear that. But how that from since 1977, she was diagnosed in that year as a type 1 diabetic. I don't know if you know much about what that means, is, but that means your body does not produce insulin. And that means if you don't take insulin uh, from an outside uh, means, that you will die. You can't live. And so she goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, I want you to have some tests. She submits herself to the test and comes back, and the results are her body is now making insulin. <laughs> I think we ought to say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you know, she testified last week about doing what we're talking about today because she'd been confessing the Word of God, confessing over her body. She's been talking to that barren place in her life, and now it's productive. And I want to, I have to, as a pastor, I just got to throw this in. What if she'd been going to a dead church? What if she'd been going to church just because grandma went there? Or just because everybody else in the community goes there? Or she went to a church because that's the socially acceptable place to go and had never heard about faith and confession and divine healing and the will of God? And I don't mean this, she won't get mad at me, I hope. But, you know, she's, she's not a teenager. Let's put it that way, all right? We won't ask any more questions. But she's not a teenager. So this is not like, you know, that God only does this for people under 20. You, have, you don't have anything too hard for God. 
There is no affliction, no illness, no sickness, no disease, no plague, no curse that the power and the glory of God cannot lift off you and change you. It's time for us to get singing and shouting and rejoicing and praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These things belong to us. We've got something to shout about. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. And now verse 3 gives us the great key in this particular passage. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Notice he says, when the spirit of heaviness comes upon you, and when you're tempted to mourn and moan and groan and feel sorry for yourself and to be depressed and all those things that, that we're tempted with from time to time, especially over the areas that look like they're the hard places that aren't changing like we want them to or as quickly as we want them to, or they may look like they're not changing at all. He says to put on the garment of praise. Notice that. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Did your clothes jump onto your body this morning? I mean, you look nice. Did you just get out of the bed and all of a sudden all that just fell upon you? As you stood there, you were fully clothed? No, you had to do something, didn't you? You had to put on your clothes. Put on your clothes. The garment of praise must be put on and you wear it just like your clothes amen so you can tell a lot about a person by what they wear you know what they wear consistently or what at least what they wear in public and you might tell something about what they don't wear in public I mean what they wear not in public so I mean, <laughs> uh, that was not intended to come out that way <laughs> Come back to church, please. Come back to church with me here. But you can tell a lot by what people choose to wear. You can tell about their personality. You can tell about uh, some of the things. Sometimes you can tell about what they like. You know, the guy that's going around with a football jersey with somebody else's name on it, which I've never been able to understand that, but don't, don't get mad at me. But, you know, you, can, you know, you tell about what they like to, to wear. If somebody's got a cap on and it, you know, it's, uh, it's got certain kind of emblem on it. You tell something about them. Well, in the spiritual dimension, you can tell a lot about people by what they wear spiritually. And the garment of praise is something that if you will wear it, you will not have a spirit of heaviness. The cure for depression is not Xanax and another glass of wine. The cure for depression is the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Now, Paul, the apostle, you know, he would have been well-versed. He was a, a former Pharisee, you know, and uh, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was, he was uh, big in the Jewish religion. He was very learned. And to be in the position he was in, he would have had to have committed a ton, as we say, of Scripture to memory. And so I'm sure Paul was familiar with Isaiah 54. I'm sure he was familiar with Isaiah 61. But in the book of Acts, chapter 16, 
after being faithful to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and actually setting a young girl who was being really held in a type of slavery used for her ability to tell fortunes because she had a demon spirit. After setting her free by the name of Jesus, casting the devil out of her, and when the owners of the girl saw they could no longer use her to get money, they got angry at Paul, and Silas was, of course, his, uh, pro or his, uh, his partner there with him, his associate, and they cast them both into prison. And you find this in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. And I'm sure that Paul knew Isaiah 54. I'm sure he knew about Isaiah 61. So the Bible says in Acts 16, at midnight, midnight. Now, I believe that was actually at midnight. But I believe also we could safely say that there are times in life, though the clock may not say it naturally, but there are midnight hours for us, the darkest times when things don't look good. And you've got to understand, without going into a lot of detail, a lot of uh, gooey, awful detail, these prisons, these jails in Rome would not have been nice places. They were places, no doubt, of filth, rats and vermin, the stink was probably horrible. It was bad. And at midnight, for no other reason than being a blessing by preaching the gospel and, in fact, obeying the call of God on his life, he finds himself in prison. Now, you have a choice at those kind of moments. When you've done what you know to do, you've done what you believe to be right to the best of your ability, and all of a sudden, it seems like everything in your life has just turned upside down. If not everything, enough major stuff has done it until you're not happy at the moment. And you're very tempted to be depressed. Very tempted to gripe and complain. Very tempted to solicit the uh, sorrow, uh, uh, you know, the, the sympathy of other people. Because, you know, misery loves company. That's the natural reaction. But Paul, to his credit, was strong enough spiritually and wise enough in his spiritual walk to know that the answer was not sitting there in that horrible dungeon and complaining. He also knew the answer was not to send up questions to God, why did you let this happen to me? Or worse still, what some people do, bless their heart, because of a misguided theology, God, why did you do this to me? But you see, God didn't do the barren place in your life. God did not send you the problem. God is not your problem. Paul knew that. And so that's why <coughs> we're told in Acts 16 at midnight, they, that's Paul and Silas, Saying, uh, prayed, rather, prayed and. I want you to notice this. Prayed and. Prayed and what? Sang praises to God. The Bible says the prisoners heard them, but they weren't singing for the prisoners' benefit. They were singing praises to God. You know, that's the best praise. It's not the performances. It's when people just praise God. And if it happens to be in a public setting, we just happen to be there. And maybe we see them. We, of course, we can hear them. Uh, and, but yet we know they're not really singing to us. But they're singing to God. 
That's what praise and worship is all about. That's why it doesn't matter if you have a beautiful voice or not a beautiful voice. That's why it doesn't matter if um, there's anybody around or not. Because it's not for other people. It's not performance. It's for God. It's for God. That's why if you really do what I'm preaching about today, you'll do this at home, not just here on Sunday morning. You'll sing when nobody's around. You'll praise when nobody is there to hear or to even notice because it's not for people. It's for God. You know, one of the criticisms of a church like ours is our music. We, we have so much fun praising the Lord but that it's hard for us sometimes to really imagine that, that people criticize us, but they do. And one of their criticisms is, y'all sing that same song over and over and over again. And then when you finally get done, the pastor or somebody says, let's do a little more of that. <laughs> Sing it again. And uh, I remember somebody told me about that one time. They said, you know, uh, that they were talking about their uh, spouse. That that was their, their complaint about full gospel churches singing the same songs over and over. And I, I told the person, I said, well, I said, you're in heaven. They sing the same song." Over and over and over again. Just, just read about what goes on in heaven. They're constantly saying holy, holy. If you don't like the word holy, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> if, you, if you don't believe that you can sing something multiple times and still rejoice in the presence of the Lord, then you're not going to really understand heaven much until you learn about it because they do that all the time. You see, it's not about what people like. Take another little side journey here. You know, people are all the time looking at churches based on what they think they ought to be, what they like. Is it convenient? Is it close to home? You know, whatever. I always tell people if we're just going to look at convenience, then, uh, you know, why don't you go to work at McDonald's? It's probably closer than maybe where you go to work. <laughs> no, you want to you get your best bang for your buck, so to speak. The most for your time and your efforts and your training and all the rest. That's fine. Church ought to be the same way. And I tell people this and have for years. A church that's alive is worth the drive. Amen. It really is. Because being in the right place where God wants you to be, and also especially in an atmosphere of worship and praise, that's where these miracle testimonies happen. Because the presence of God can do what I can never do. In a thousand years, I can't make someone's pancreas start working. But God can do it just like that. I can't clear your arteries and cause you to be normal in your blood flow and through your heart and all the rest. But God can do it just like that. So it's important to find out what God wants, especially when it comes to church. Find out what God wants and just do what He wants. Because in the end result, whatever God wants... It's what's best for the people that will submit to it. So Paul and Silas began to sing and praise God. And you know the story. A great earthquake came. And you know you can just imagine God seeing everything and hearing everything. He must have thought, that's really nice. In the midst of all that mess, no complaining, but some loud praising. The Bible says the prisoners heard them. And so what did he do? Well, he evidently dispatched an angel, we would imagine. There's no record of a great earthquake throughout 
Philippi or that region at that moment, but just that jail, just that piece of ground where that jail was, shook so much that everybody in jail was free from all their stocks and bands and chains and whatever they were bound with. So that tells me another important thing, that your praise affects other people. Now those prisoners in, in that jail, we have no evidence that any of them were believers. Nobody, as far as we know, was a believer in Jesus but Paul and Silas. But those unsaved prisoners, you know, you don't generally go to jail unless you've done something. And so we would assume there were probably some guilty, bad guys in that jail. And all of them were set free when two believers practiced the word. You know, your praise may be more of a key to your children and grandchildren and people you love getting right with God than you know. Amen. It's so important that we learn to do this, and we keep doing it. You know, we come to church and do it together. We make a joyful noise together. We fill a room with, with praises, and uh, that, that's wonderful, but you need to do it at home. Now, let me say a few things about when we come together, because it's so important. Psalm 22.3. Everybody say Psalm 22.3. I want you to remember this when you look it up sometime when you get home. Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Now I'm paraphrasing, but you'll see that so when you read the verse. God inhabit, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. That was his Old Testament people, and of course all believers are his people today. And uh, so God inhabits, he lives in, he takes up a residence. That's what that means. You know, it's one thing when people come to visit, and you know they're leaving. Sometimes. I'm not just saying this because Nick has company. I want you to know that. <laughs> but you know that that's one thing when people come to visit. But it's a whole nother thing when they bring all their stuff and they tell you, I'm moving in. <laughs> Psalm 22.3 is God moving in. And believe me, you want him to move in. And he does bring all his stuff. Healing blessing, prosperity, peace of mind, joy, all the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. God brings all of His stuff. So we actually, when we begin to praise and worship God here, we are building a spiritual habitation for God to come down and live in that place. And that's when the good things happen. Psalm 33.1, Psalm 147.1, you can look at those uh, verses as well. They make this statement that praise is Comely. Now I'm quoting from King James. The word comely means attractive. It means attractive. Anybody here ever been in love? Why were you attracted? You know, you don't fall in love to people you're not attracted to. I mean, if somebody repels you and you don't even want to get close to them, you don't fall in love with those people. Amen. My mother-in-law used to say, for every old pot there's a lid. And so don't, don't just think because you're not attracted that somebody else won't be. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Even if you have to squint really hard. <laughs> I'm just joking. Praise the Lord, maybe. But anyway, 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 the Bible here says that when you praise God, when you, in your way, with your voice, 
your movements, all the ways you praise. And I don't have time to go into all that today, but the Bible gives us a lot of different ways that God accepts as praise. And it's activity, it's movement, it's volume, it's voice, it's music, it's, it's all these things. And so when you do that, God looks at you and says, hmm, I like the looks of that. And you actually attract the presence of God into your life. That's wonderful to know. You see, God's not attracted to me because I'm smart, because I'm not that smart. He's not attracted to me because I'm so well-connected to so many influential and powerful people, because I'm not. He's not attracted to me because I've got all the money in the world. I don't. But he is attracted to me when I worship him in spirit and truth and I praise his name. And that's what happened to Paul and Silas. God could not neglect them. Now, I know that there are people in the church world, they would not want me to say such a thing. How could I possibly say that? God is sovereign, and how could I say that? Because in his sovereignty, he already said stuff like Psalm 33, 1. He said, I'm attracted to your praise. A sovereign God already said that. So if I do praise him, he can't help but get close to me. Now, I know he's living with him, but I'm talking about his presence that will change your barren places and make them fruitful. I'm talking about the presence of God that can turn a desert into a beautiful garden. I'm talking about the presence of God that can take a situation that maybe you have been living with for years and can stop it in its tracks and turn that around and set you completely free. That's why you want to be a praiser. Amen. So as we sing and as we rejoice, and I'd like for you guys to come back up here and let's sing again one of those songs we sung all kinds of times, just to make the devil mad. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on up here, Rachel. Come on up here. You guys, all of you, come if you're here. <clears throat> Can you help us, Hannah? Praise the Lord. Let's sing that song again, I Am Who I Am. Now, think about it when we're singing. Sing it in praise. Sing it in worship. Glorify the Lord for his word coming to pass in your life. Think about what we're saying. The presence of God comes down. And also, if you're here today and you need a miracle, you need healing, you need deliverance, when we stand and sing this song in a moment, I just want you to forget about everybody and everything around and begin to worship and praise God with us. Lift your hands to heaven and just receive from the Lord. Receive at his hand. Let him minister to you. If you are away from God or have never known God, take this opportunity to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, and I want to serve you the rest of my life. I believe you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're alive now, and you want to live in me and through me. And he will. He will. So I, I want you to make room for God and his fullness in your life it's such a key praise and worship is so powerful I don't have a vocabulary that can really do this subject justice there's so much more to say than I've been able to say today but we've at least made a little start become a praiser if you're not used to doing that go through your house praise the Lord when you wake up in the morning praise the Lord it doesn't always have to be loud but sometimes you just need to be loud there's a course you know it's going to be loud or going to get loud. I don't know. Maybe someday we'll have to learn that one. 
But, <laughs> but I want you today to focus on God. Can you just forget about everything and everybody else for just a moment? And let's 